What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, guys. You're very welcome to this channel, NarcCon. Today we're having the pleasure of HG Tutors Company for a second interview. The first was two years ago, and I am so delighted that HG is is able to talk to us today. And I have a series of questions that I would like to pose to you, HG. So first of all, you're very welcome here and thank you for being here. It's all pleasure to be here and thank you for welcoming me back. Okay, I know most, the vast majority of our community are very aware of who you are and your channel and the amazing work that you do for the community Mm. in explaining narcissism to us, etc. Would you be able to give for anybody that isn't familiar with your work, uh, just a little synopsis of who you are and what you do, please? Certainly. My name is H.G. Tudor, which is a pseudonym. I keep my actual identity hidden so that it doesn't cause complications in my personal and private life. And that enables me free reign to explain to people all the ins and outs and nuances and pieces of information that are appropriate to the world of narcissism and psychopathy. I'm a diagnosed narcissistic psychopath. That means I both have antisocial personality disorder and narcissistic personality disorder. I have a very high level of insight, not only into my own behaviours, what motivates me to behave the way that I do, but also those of my kind. And as a part of establishing a legacy that will live on, when I have shuffled off this mortal coil, I've created a huge body of work, both in videos and in blog articles and in material in the Knowledge Vault, which people can access so that they can gain understanding about narcissism and psychopathy from somebody who is one. Okay, so the questions I have here are the first one would be, how does it make you feel um, that your channel is actually helping so many people? And I know we touched on this the last time when you were telling me that there is no such thing as an altruistic narcissist, that it was an oxymoron, I think was the word you used. But Uh at the same time, how does it actually make you feel knowing that? Yeah. Well, 
in terms of how it makes me feel is not so much thinking about it. So whilst I recognize the empire that I've created, that, that gives me a little bit of thought fuel because I recognize and I might remember the thanks that I received from somebody's email when they wrote to me and said, thank you so much for your work, HG. It gave me clarity. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. So remembering that email gives me a little dollop of fuel and makes me feel a touch more powerful. It's really more of remembrance. Thought fuel is relatively weak, and it's more in terms of people's actual responses um, when they perhaps in a consultation with me thank me for the information that I've provided, that they express their gratitude. Some people, of course, start crying when they've been given um, oh. certain, uh, when they they feel that they have uh, reached some form of redemption or understanding. And all of that is fuel to me. So I don't get a warm, cosy feeling and think, well, what a good man you are, A.G. Tudor. As I simply don't think in such terms, but what I receive is fueled by way of people's responses. So their thanks, their gratitude, their appreciation, the, even their declarations that they love me for what I've done, etc., is all the provision of fuel. And the receipt of that fuel provides me with validation. And dependent on how well I'm fueled, it invariably gives me, makes me feel powerful makes me feel uh, a colossus that's striding the earth, dispensing all this information. So there's no sort of contentment that's associated with it, no real satisfaction that comes with it either. And I expect that people recognise the excellence of my work, but when I receive that feedback, it's fuel for me, and fuel translates into a sensation of power for me. I know we also touched on happiness and that, mm. that kind of gives a good idea of maybe how a narcissist experiences happiness, although you are different to the normal narcissist in that you have such a high intellect and such a, a better understanding and insight into the whole, into everything, really. Um, yes. Also, my my fuel needs, Paul, aren't as extensive because of my psychopathy. I'm a hybrid, you see. So if I were a pure narcissist, then... I would need more fuel than I do. And therefore, people's responses would matter even more to me. And if I were an unaware narcissist, and let's say you just asked me, oh, you, you write about narcissism and you explain all, all the ins and outs of it. How does it make you feel knowing that you're doing good? Then the unaware narcissist would respond by saying, oh, it gives me huge satisfaction to help these people. I do such because they don't realize they're a narcissist. So although they will feel the effects of the fuel and it will make them feel settled and powerful and so forth, when they articulate that, they will not do so in the way that I do because they don't actually understand what it is that they are receiving. And they will use the language of the empath or the normal and say, oh, I'm delighted to be helping people. Now, I can be honest about that. I'm not delighted to be helping people. I only do it because it serves my purposes. The fact that lots of people gain insight because of what I tell them is an advantage for me. But to say that I'm delighted by it would not be right. I simply recognize the uh, efficacy of my work and people's responses are important to me because it shows that people are under control and it provides me with fuel. But it doesn't translate into, oh, I'm so delighted that people are helped by me. 
It's simply a case of I acknowledge that's the case and then move on to the next thing. So then if I can coin the ter- term normal narcissists, your everyday narcissist, and they were, say, a life coach and mm-hmm. they were getting satisfaction, do you think that they would translate that into being happy, that they'd call that happy? Correct. Yes, they would. So they will talk about sadness. They will talk about happiness because their narcissism makes them use the lexicon of non-narcissists to help them fit in. Now, I can talk about being happy. So, for instance, I could say to my friend, I'm I'm ecstatic that Manchester City won the treble this season. Okay, Mm -hmm. I'm only doing that to fit in, but I wouldn't say that to you because I wouldn't insult your intelligence because you know me as H.G. Tudor, the narcissistic psychopath. My friend doesn't know me. They know me by my real name or one of them at least. And therefore they they expect me to be ecstatic or delighted or joyous. So one uses those words and I know what they mean, but I don't actively feel those way feel that way okay Okay, and just off that topic i suppose um do you think that there are some countries and societies where narcissists are kind of more they can maneuver easily more easily in other words they're more acceptable and i just get a bit of context to this i just remember Mm -hmm my growing up and we were trained more or less to believe that there was good in everybody and that being prideful was a bad thing and we should be humble Mm -hmm. and not you know boast so that was the upbringing in Ireland and it could be generational as well so Mm -hmm. what I'm saying to you is do you think there's a particular society or country or continent that narcissists are less easily identifiable if that makes sense I think there are I think there are uh, environments which might be a, a sort of culture that's associated with a country which uh, encourages uh, narcissists and therefore causes them to be able to fit in more readily so for example cultures that place uh, a particular emphasis upon uh, ambition and achievement and success and that it's okay to leave people sprawled in the dirt because they're losers and they should have tried harder at school. And the cultures that uh, approach it in terms of if you try hard enough, you will get to the top and it's okay to make sacrifices to get there and it's important to do so. And that's where they suggest that empathy is a hindrance and so forth. So there are Cultures which place an emphasis on the individual as opposed to the collective, and a lot of a lot of not all, but many Western countries are like that uh, in terms of the idea that the individual is more important than the collective. Um, some exceptions, for example, Scandinavian countries. There are narcissists there, of course there are, but they have a more egalitarian society where for instance amongst the scandinavians they have a concept of uh, yantilavan which means basically they have a set of it's almost like a protocol whereby you're not encouraged to boast about yourself you're not encouraged to think that you're any more important than anybody else that the community prevails and so forth and that uh, although it will be eroded to some extent by the uh, 
sort of influx of foreign media into those countries, not 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 least in terms of um, the ideals and attributes of immigrants, but also just what's seen on television and film and on YouTube and gaming and so forth. But largely, it still holds that they hold those principles. So that makes it more difficult for a narcissist to prosper in that environment because they'll stand out more. If you start going on about how much money you earn in order to try and impress somebody, uh, a Norwegian's going to sort of give you a sideways look and therefore they will back off from you. They'll be so polite as they won't turn around and say to you, you should shut up and not talk about that because they're so reserved in general terms. But what they're more likely to do is make note to self, not going to bother with that braggart ever again. And so the narcissist would find it would be more difficult for them to control people in those environments because they would back off because it's more of a cultural concept that doesn't um, massage the narcissistic behaviours. So the United States is an obvious one which does massage those narcissistic behaviours because there's very much an onus on success and reaching the top and that money is you know it's its own form of godliness of course i'm talking in broad brush terms there's plenty of people who aren't like that in the united states but in general the culture that go getting you can achieve anything get to the top shout about your successes let people be known that you've done well um that uh, engenders that uh in other cultures where you get the sort of devil takes the hindmost approach that cultivates more of a narcissist one I often think in terms of Russia in that respect, it's quite a country that has, again, in broad brush terms, has, its people have experienced brutality for decades, if not centuries. And I've noticed that does, again, not with everybody, but engenders a diminished level of empathy amongst some individuals. It, that's the way it is. That's the way the world is. That's the way life is. It's brutal. It's hard. And again, that can make it easier for a narcissist to fit in in that respect. Wow, that's really a great explanation. Thank you. And I didn't realise mm. that about Scandinavia. The good old Vikings mm. stay together. That's powerful, actually, for a community to, to be like that. Um, it's very interesting, actually, with mm. Scandinavia, because with the Danes, the Norwegians and the Swedes, where the Vikings came from, of course, they were all about their raiding. And they were, they were, they were little more than barbarians. They were just going and raping and pillaging, etc. And of course, they raided the east coast of uh, the United Kingdom and parts of Scotland and settled there. That's why you can see, for instance, a, a lot of the Geordie words are uh, taken from uh, Old Norse. So Geordies will talk about I'm going in Yem, I'm going home, and Yem is Norwegian for for her, for, for home and. Uh, they'll say, Geordies uh, will say bow when they mean ball. And that's Norwegian for ball. So they had that influence. And what's interesting is that you've got a uh, an area of the world that started out sort of pagans, that they were aggressive, hostile, lacking or low in emotional empathy, uh, really were barbaric in their behaviours. And then all of a sudden, somewhere along the line, was transformed into a very equal society, which is governed by a lot of empathic, behaviours. I think a lot of it stems from the fact that they didn't have feudalism in the same way that nations such as France and uh, Spain and and Britain have. And I think that's played a part in all of that. 
but uh, that's another another topic for another discussion but an interesting one nevertheless it is it is and and women fighting as well and equality but yes okay we could go on about that yes yeah yeah okay again switching from that um are there any is there any advice or tips you could give for when you're out in public recognizing a narcissist what you need to be able to do is rec- understand that in spotting narcissists you first of all got to get your emotional thinking down emotional thinking is making decisions in the absence of logic and the simplest way to get your emotional thinking down is not to be entangled with narcissists. So if there are known narcissists, romantically or in your family, stay away from them so they're not topping up your emotional thinking. So that's point one. In terms of being able to spot them, well, you may not be able to identify a narcissist fully accurately because you're only seeing a snapshot of that person's behaviour at that moment in time. So what we look for is repeated behaviours over a sustained period of time, Paula, and that is more likely to confirm that you're dealing with a narcissist. So you look for the behaviours which are set out in my books, red flag and black flag. So those are good starting points. You see, you might go into a convenience store and there's a lady in there and she's shouting and screaming at the shopkeeper. She's throwing tins of beans around and she's being nasty to other customers. What are we dealing with there? Well, she's not behaving with any emotional empathy. She's trying to jump up on the counter and steal money, which shows a lack of boundary recognition. She's using insults and verbal violence, which shows a sense of entitlement and lack of accountability for her behaviours. So we're seeing some narcissistic indicators there. But we've only seen her on this one occasion. It might be that this woman does this every week. And if so, and we are part of that knowledge, we may well be looking at a narcissist because of this behaviour. However, if we were to learn that her husband is at home and hasn't been able to work for six six months, and she's just recently been given notice that she's to be made redundant, and she tried to pay for some goods, and her card was declined, all of that amounts to external stresses which reduce her emotional empathy and cause her to flip out and behave with narcissistic behaviours. So the, what you're looking for are... In general terms, the way someone behaves with a sense of entitlement, a lack of accountability, an absence of emotional empathy. Are they haughty? Are they dismissive? Remember, not all narcissists present that way, different flavours. Do they exhibit grandiosity? Um, Your more overt, grandiose narcissists are easier to spot than your, uh, what I call your sort of mid-range narcissists, because they engage in more covert behaviours. So you can look at those sort of general headings. Is this person boasting about what they're doing? Do they dominate conversations? Do they engage in lengthy monologues? Are they a poor listener? Do they poo-poo what anybody else has to say? Do they interrupt and endlessly talk over people? Those are demonst- those indicators are showing poor boundary recognition, absence of emotional empathy, absence of accountability, haughty behaviours, and sense of entitlement and grandiosity all of which point to that person may well be a narcissist. And then you can look at more specific examples. For instance, is the person excessively flattering? Are they flattering in circumstances where it's not merited? Are they incessantly sending you message after message after message after message? Do they react badly to being told no? Are they always pestering you for a response? Do they badmouth other people when they don't really know you? 
Do they overshare information? Again, these are specific indicators. So those are just a handful of things that you can look out for, which might, and the important thing to remember is, any one of those is merely indicative and is not determinative. You have to look at an aggregate of behaviours over a period of time before you can reach that conclusion. Um, so the next question would be, because and this is this is based on a little bit of my own experience, I suppose, dealing with narcissists mm-hmm. and conversations about them, et cetera, et cetera. When I go out, sometimes I can come up against somebody and without even speaking or watching them behave, I can have a sense that they're a narcissist. And I know that may be very fanciful thinking, but my question to you is, do you recognize your kind very quickly or instinctively? Yes, I do. Um, It's a combination of things. Sometimes I will see the specific behavior and translate it to make a determination of what they are. In other instances, I'm subconsciously interpreting that behavior as well. Part of the way that I am and also the way that I am trained is that I pick up and notice things in my environment, which includes people's behaviours, so I can make an appropriate determination to make to ascertain, am I dealing with a friendly or a hostile, in simple terms? And part of that will translate into, do, do I recognise that I'm dealing with one of my kind? In a way, it's almost like a bit of a spidey sense goes off to recognise that's what I'm dealing with. And other people will have it too, that after a while of understanding... So with some people, it's just that what's spoken about, that gut reaction, you know, that just didn't feel something right about them. For other people, it's a consequence of they have come to understand plenty about narcissism, which means that part of the way their brain then operates is that they start to pick up on these behaviours, sometimes almost subconsciously, and it translates into a gut feeling. So they don't necessarily go oh, the way that man was talking, he was boasting and he was talking over that woman and he was interrupting her. Those are showing signs of entitlement and grandiosity and an absence of emotional empathy. I think I might be dealing with a narcissist. You just automatically and instinctively gain the sensation, hmm, that behaviour smacks of nar- of a narcissist to me. Yeah, yeah, it's very strange. I'll tell you when it's when it's uh, developed in you. Mm-hmm. Um So if a person was to go out and wanted to make themselves um, anti-narcissist or Mm -hmm. maybe I should phrase this better, what type of a person does a narcissist dislike most? Well, it depends upon the type of narcissist. So I think in general terms, the answer would be one that doesn't cater to the prime aims. And for listeners who aren't familiar with the prime aims, every narcissist in dealing with another person needs one or more of these things. Control, fuel, character traits and residual benefits. Quick run through. Control speaks for itself. Um, But it is the narcissist's perception of control, not yours, that matters. Fuel is is an emotional response by an individual occasioned by what the narcissist has done. So saying, I love you, making someone a cup of tea, having sex with them, that's all the provision of fuel. Yelling and shouting at someone saying that they're an arsehole, that's the provision of negative fuel. Character trait acquisition is the experiences, achievements, personality of other people. The narcissist essentially steals and uses for themselves. Residual benefits can be things like a person's benefit in terms of managing the facade, the provision of money, provision of somewhere to live. Lots of different things can come under that heading. 
when we deal with other people, our narcissism is looking to get one or more of those prime aims. Therefore, if somebody is proving difficult to control and isn't providing fuel or very little, doesn't offer much in the way of character traits and has no residual benefits, then that is a poor target for the narcissist. What you can often have is an individual that fountains with fuel has oodles of character traits and residual benefits, but proves difficult to control for some narcissists. Others have somebody that's easy to control, but they're not that they're not really that blessed with the fuel, etc. And that's what so what a narcissist is looking for, and this person invariably becomes what's known as the primary source, husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, cohab, partner, is a person who's easy to control, provides lots of fuel, character traits, and residual benefits. So basically a narcissist will dislike a person who's very difficult to control, offers very little by way of fuel, character traits, and residual benefits. Okay, thank you. That explains that well as well. Um, so this is a bit of a personal question, but given that your identity is not out there, if you would be happy to answer it, um, if you were to write a profile of your particular, and I know that you're different, you're in a different category to the normal everyday narcissist, mm -hmm. that you can control people in a lot easier. What would your ideal mm -hmm. profile of a primary source of supply be, or would it change over time? Your own personal? Well, the ideal, with control, it's not such a, it's not as important to me that they're utterly compliant at the outset, because I rather enjoy uh, browbeating them with the velvet glove into submission. I relish that challenge. So somebody who actually just rolls over straight away is actually rather boring to me. I, I suppose the, I suppose in the senses, it's, I like it when they fight. It presents a challenge to me. Uh, part of that is because of my psychopathy, because I get bored very easily. So therefore, I want somebody that's going to put up, someone's got a bit of vim, a bit of zest about them, in old terms, a bit of spunk that's going to fight against me because everybody is capable of being conquered and one such as I is able to achieve that. If I were an unaware narcissist, my answer would be different uh, in terms of what would be wanted uh, or, or rather talking about unaware narcissists, they want someone that's compliant from the off. They don't want the challenge. They don't want the fight uh, in terms of lesser or mid-range narcissists. They want the easy win. They want the low-hanging fruit. For me, the control issue, I always get it in the end. And in actual fact, somebody who resists me at first is, proves more interesting to me. In terms of fuel, they've got to provide copious amounts of it. My fuel needs are not as great, as I mentioned earlier, as a pure narcissist. But nevertheless, I still need it. Character traits are important to me because of what I am and the status that I have. So consequently, the individual would need to be of a particular standing. So I'm not looking for a low life in terms of the perfect appliance. For me, there would be somebody who is of considerable intelligence, that understands the world, that has a curiosity and interest in the world, that has had a lot of experiences, that they have a very good job or they have their own company, that they hold us a high status position within that relevant organization, um, that they have access to particular networks that may be of use to me. 
And in terms of residual benefits, well, I'm wealthy of my own right. So whilst I don't want a pauper coming along, I'm not particularly bothered about somebody's money um, because I've got plenty of my own. So I'm not really interested in that. I like making money, but I'm not really bothered about other people's. And I'm in the right circumstances, rather generous to people. Um, so uh, it isn't the case that, for instance, I would necessarily want to find somebody who'd be a multimillionaire. That's not a priority for me. They would be advantageous in terms of assisting me with my facade. So, for instance, that they would complement what I do, uh, as in with a, uh, two E's rather than the I complement. And they would also, in terms of residual benefits, uh, it would be the fact of having access to particular networks that would be advantageous to me, as I mentioned, that they would be able perhaps to get me into places that hitherto say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It would take me longer to achieve so that they're a member of particular clubs, organizations, etc. that would uh, allow me to bolt them on and uh, benefit from their networks. So those are some of the things that would make for the ideal profile for me. Mm, that's very comprehensive. Thank you. Um, it gives a good understanding. But which brings me on to you came up with a fantastic system of categorizing narcissists. And you talk about mm -hmm. this on your channel with the lower mid 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 range and the, the greater. And then you introduced mm -hmm. the elite, yes. which you, you are yourself. Have you ever met another uh, elite? The ultra. Oh, sorry, the ultra. Sorry, I beg your pardon. Have you ever met another? Yeah, you're, ultra? You're, you're confusing. You're, you're confusing the schools and the cadres. So the cadres are somatic, cerebral, elite, and victim. So they are basically preference based for the narcissist, and the schools are lesser. There are four subschools there: mid range, four subschools there; greater, three subschools, and the ultra. Have I ever met another ultra? No, because there is only one me. Well, the, re the reason and the reason being is I am the only person that has the level of insight that I have mm. and that conveys this information. Nobody else does that. No. And really, thank you for what you're doing, because there okay. isn't anybody else. And you make it very relatable to everyday life and people's lives. So it resonates and you've saved so many people. So really such gratitude to you for doing that. Um, you're welcome. Yeah, so that would lead me on to your fantastic Meghan Markle, Harry's Wife series. Um, <laughs> it's just brilliant. 
I find myself sitting down in the evening and listening to you um, and that particular series. And I know it's been very popular with your own listeners. Mm -hmm. Can you give an explanation as to why that particular person and that particular series is so listened to and so popular? Okay, there are those that listen to that series because they are interested in narcissism and they recognize that she is a narcissist and they want to hear my analysis and views about it. Then there's a much larger grouping of people who don't like her and they have listened to my work to gain an understanding of what makes her tick, namely her narcissism. Within that grouping, there is still a substantial number of people who aren't actually interested in narcissism. They just don't like Meghan Markle. And what they do is they watch the videos because they find it entertaining when I'm quite contemptuous of her and also to find out if, there, if there's any new tittle-tattle being detailed about her behaviours. And consequently... I find her a thoroughly boring individual. However, she serves a useful purpose to me. One, she's such a prominent example of which there is so much material because she generates it herself or it's generated by the media because they recognise that lots of people are interested in her. So nary a day goes by without there being something about her, which provides me with huge amounts of fodder, if you will, to examine. And... She's become such a divisive figure that there are so many people that are interested in it. It means that it enables me to extend my reach with regard to my channel, thus getting more views and more subscribers, some of whom contact me and say, I didn't know anything about narcissism until I watched Harry's Wife. And it's made me realise that my husband's a narcissist. Thank you very much, which is which is one of the main purposes of why I use her as an example to reach those people who ordinarily might not be reached. Because with some of my work, it's a little more highbrow because I don't necessarily appeal uh, on a mass basis to individuals, whereas Harry's wife scratches that particular itch. And it's unfortunate, really, and I've mentioned this before, I've done a series on Vladimir Putin, who's far more dangerous than Harry's wife is. Yet, explaining to you why that man behaves as he does and who potentially could trigger Armageddon, the level of interest in him is not as great as in Harry's wife. But that's the way of the world, that people would rather focus on a throwaway celebrity rather than a heavyweight politician. And one has to, one caters to that, not necessarily with a smile, but one caters to that because it's a way of reaching people. And so the, the advantage of my work is that it's um, multi-layered, so that there really is something for everybody. So I couch it in terms of those who have a real genuine interest in narcissism who want to go down the rabbit hole. Then I have the material which is more of a practical basis. You're with a narcissist, how to know that you're with a narcissist, what do you need to do next, help you gain understanding and then move on. And then others who are more interested in being entertained with analyses about famous or infamous narcissists, which serves its purpose, but either just in terms of purely entertaining an aspect of my viewership 
or in the example that I gave you, there's a crossover aspect that people go, oh, so Amber Heard was very good for that as well. And Jada Pinkett Smith as well, because people go, my God, why did she do this? And then you can come watch the video and go, oh, right. That's why she behaved. Because often people go, who in the world would behave that way? Well, here's your answer. They're behaving driven by their narcissism. Yeah. Well, I mean, just again, going back to the the Harry's Wife series, I was actually trying to analyse, besides you making it so entertaining and the insights, etc., why I wanted to you know, keep listening and why, because it's bad, um, wanted to see her going downhill. Yes. It wasn't something I was proud of in myself. No, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that, actually, because earlier on that thought popped into my head and then it went away again. Part of the reason why people are so invested in her is simply they've seen so much of it so far. It's almost like, well, I've, I've watched 20 episodes of this series. I better see it to a conclusion. So they not only have given so much of their time to it already, they want to see it out. But as you point out, they want to see her fail. Yeah. And here's a thought. I I further thought, well, I recognize um, another individual that I dealt with who was very like Meghan Markle in that, Mm -hmm. in her behaviors. Mm -hmm. And do you think that we often don't get to see the narcissist that's hurt us or that we've had a very bad time with, we don't often get to see them having their karma or getting their karma. Mm -hmm. And I kind of feel it's like watching a movie that we were in and wanting to see what the end is translated through Harry's wife. Does that make sense? It does. In, In a sense, you get a vicarious outcome of your own entanglement through seeing her fail. I regularly explain to people that if you want to know how the narcissist is feeling and responding, etc., you watch my work or read my work. What you don't do is go and stand next to the narcissist and observe it come crashing down because that's a breach of no contact. And you certainly, tempting as it might be, you certainly don't try and precipitate it yourself. And instead, I give you that information as to how the narcissist's life might look like a bed of roses from your perspective, but actually for the less evolved ones, low and mid-range, it is not. So with Harry's wife, in a sense, because it's not your personal narcissist that you're watching, it is somewhat safer. And I think you're right. There is this aspect of people thinking either there didn't seem to be any justice visited upon the narcissist that I was with, or if it was, I did I missed it. I didn't see it. And therefore I can watch this from a safer distance and get a degree of satisfaction of thinking, yes, this person's pretty similar to the one that I I was with, albeit more uh, more infamous. And as her life, as is now the case, is starting to unravel, maybe that's a little bit of satisfaction for those that are watching in terms of not only disliking her, but also feeling like a sense of revenge over the narcissist that was in their life and thinking, yeah, I feel like I've got a degree of understanding of what could have happened to them also yeah thank you do you um do you think most average narcissists having gone through a life of living in the manner that narcissists live do get their karma what we would call their karma or do you think i don't i I don't believe in karma to Mm. begin with 
Okay. And uh, the concept, as I understand it to be, is that actually what you're experiencing now is as a consequence of your actions in a previous life, which therefore tends to suggest that if you're struggling because you're being abused by a narcissist, it raises the question, what did you do to deserve that in your previous life? Many people think that it's, well, uh, what, you, what you do now, you'll get your comeuppance in some form. The fact is, the narcissist doesn't get their comeuppance because it's already happening. Because for those less evolved narcissists, their lives are haphazard. But you have this sort of parallel existence. Because although they recognize that they might move from job to job and they may have difficulty, difficult relationships, it doesn't really affect them in the way that it would affect somebody who was not a narcissist. There's a momentary impact upon them and then the narcissism rides into the rescue and they just brush it off and move on to the next thing. So only yesterday, for instance, Somebody asked me uh, in terms of my, uh, on my blog, asked me about uh, my involvement with intimate partner primary sources. And was simply saying, do you not think that you could find a better way, given your level of insight and intelligence, etc., to treat them in a manner that you don't lose them as often as you do? And my response to that was, I don't need to, because it's so easy for me to go and get another one. I don't need to worry about keeping the current one happy. Because if I do, it's usually me that gets rid of them. But in the rare instance where they depart, it's no biggie to me. So it's a little bit like <clears throat> a thief who goes into a shop and trashes the place while he steals something. You might think, well, wouldn't it be better if you showed a bit of respect to this shop so you can keep using it? Or even steal in a way where you don't make a mess so you can come back to that shop. Well, for that thief, for the type of narcissist I am, that thief has a store immediately next door that he can move on to and he can trash that one when he steals from it because there's another store immediately next to it and so on and so forth. So in terms of the, the comeuppance, in that instance, for me, there is no comeuppance. Yes, the relationship has ended. That will wound me initially, but I'm able to find another one, PDQ, so it doesn't pose a problem. And even for less evolved narcissists, they might not get a relationship just as quick, but they still get one reasonably quickly. And so they suffer the problem of the loss of the relationship, but then they remedy that fairly quickly. Now, someone looking at their life externally would go, what a mess, in and out of relationships, falling out with friends, in and out of work. But the narcissist either doesn't see that, or if they do, it's always somebody else's fault. And basically, the way that it goes is, lost the job, yeah, well, my manager was an arsehole, I didn't like them. And they just go off and find another job. And what the narcissist doesn't do is sit around going, oh, I've lost my job. Oh, I've lost my job. Isn't life difficult? Because that's no good to the narcissism. It causes the narcissist to go, go on and get a different job or go to somebody and go, I've lost my job. I need some money. And they have the brass neck to go and do it. Yeah, there are, I mean, even healthy narcissism will drive us to, you know, fulfill our ambitions, etc., but, but what I thought was interesting with Meghan Markle was that you said that she overreached. So her narcissism, there was a lot of collateral yeah. consequences. So some of them. Absolutely. Didn't up, yeah. Well, it, it's all a matter of perspective. You see, mm -hmm. from the narcissist's own perspective, they just basically trundle along doing what they've always done with these intermittent hiccups, which are quickly remedied. And then they're on to the next thing. But but from the perspective of somebody else, you go, your life's an utter car crash. 
Now, the narcissist might go, yeah, I know it's awful, but that isn't a genuine admission. They're just saying that to control you so that you, you are sympathetic towards them. That narcissist does not sit down on their own and think, my life is not a car crash. The narcissism doesn't let them do that. With her, her narcissism did overreach. It got her into the position, but it can't keep her there. And all lesser and mid-range narcissists create collateral consequences for themselves. But what happens is, when they catch up with that collateral consequence, their narcissism just kicks the can down the road again. So, for instance, the narcissist who punches his manager because his manager has said he's going to be put on a disciplinary for poor timekeeping, then loses his job. That's the collateral consequence of the assertion of control. So the manager threatens control by saying, I'm putting you on a disciplinary. Then the narcissist reacts to that as a volatile middle lesser by punching that manager to get control over him. He is then sacked. There is the collateral consequence. The narcissism was not thinking about what happens next. That narcissist then turns around and says, F you, I, I didn't want to work here anyway. So the loss of his job, he immediately nullifies that threat to control by saying, well, I wasn't bothered about working here anyway. And he storms off. And therefore, there's no repercussion from it until he gets home and his girlfriend goes, how's your day been? And then he says, oh, I got sacked. What did you do that for? And then he backhands her. Don't give me any lip. You're as bad as the manager getting on my case. And he storms out. And he might lose that relationship with her. And if that's the case, he just goes and finds another one or he goes and finds another job. And so those types of narcissists repeatedly create collateral consequences, but the chickens don't really come home to roost. They do, if you look at it externally, you look at it objectively, you will say that person's always in and out of work, their relationships never come to fulfillment, they've got, you know, a tempestuous and haphazard lifestyle. But that narcissist themselves just trundles along in ensconced in their own blindness. Well, you know, sometimes I think that when with your channel and what you talk about with narcissists, that you kind of make narcissism sound like it's the right way to go and that it's a bit sexy and people get on much better when they're narcissists in a way. But if everybody in the world was to be a narcissist, surely it would be ultimate destruction. The fact is, narcissism works for me. Yes. It doesn't work for you. And again, it's a matter of perspective. And of course, you can have instances where some narcissists will cooperate, the process of narcissistic cementation. And you can have some narcissists. Take me, for example. You find my work fascinating, really useful. Mm -hmm. You've not had any downside of your interactions with me because I'm a disembodied voice on the internet. But if you were in a relationship with me of an intimate nature your life would be very difficult indeed. So there's always someone somewhere that suffers because of a narcissist, but there can be lots of people who don't. So if you take my work, I've helped millions of people around the world. That outweighs the number of people that I've been abusive to. But that isn't to then say that, isn't to then say that, that amounts to me uh, justifying it, because I simply don't care. Uh, I don't think so. Oh, that makes me a good person because I've done more good than bad. I, I don't care about that. But the point is that if you look at me, it's like Steve Jobs. He created devices that many of us now use. And you think, yeah, he was a great tech entrepreneur. 
but you ask his daughter and the mother of his daughter what they think about him and they'll have some choice words to say about his behaviour. Ask Steve Wozniak what he thinks about him. He'll have some choice words to say about him also. He was a narcissist and there's always someone somewhere who suffers, even though millions may benefit. And a lot of your entertainers are narcissists. So they go on a world tour and millions of people watch them and go, oh, that concert was fantastic and brilliant and wonderful. And that's fine because you don't actually have to have any personal involvement with them. But there'll be a string of broken relationships and put upon tour managers and fall out with band members and so forth because of those more proximate relationships. Yes. No, I have thought about that a lot. And I mean, if you have a disease and a doctor has a cure just because the doctor is, you know, in your opinion, not a good person or a nice person, do you not take the cure? And that's what I would say. Like, I know some of my subscribers will be would be kind of against, you know, you're interviewing H.G. Tudor. And I would say, no, you're doing a lot of good in the world and it's important to take the good and to get a wide knowledge of what we're dealing with here because people need mm-hmm. help in this. So that exactly was my... my view is one of efficacy. It doesn't matter where the information is coming from. If it gives you the answers and helps you, that's all that matters. Other people, of course, have a different perspective and their moral outlook might be whilst I recognize the efficacy of his work, I am not able to access it because I don't like what he is. They're perfectly entitled to have that view, although I would say that such a righteous position is ultimately self-defeating. Yes. Mm. Um, Okay, how are we doing for time? We've got a little bit of time left. I have so many questions for you, HG, but thank you. Um, (laughs) Okay, this might be of interest to people actually listening. Given that you may have a a parent who's a narcissist and even an elderly parent at this stage. What would be your way of handling the parent while still in the family dynamic? You know, supposing you live near, it's, it's not a good idea to be no contact with this person and you want to try and maintain some form of relationship with this person, with this parent, why would you want to maintain a relationship with someone that's a narcissist and is difficult? Mm. From the kind of family point of view, from... What does that mean? Okay, so you value the family. Um, yeah. This person may have done a lot for you, you know, at some point. Um, it may be they have relationships, strong relationships with other members of your family. Mm-hmm. And you feel it would be of more benefit to maintain some type of relationship with them rather than be ostracized from the whole family and them as well. Okay. You're wanting to me to answer that from the perspective of uh, a victim of that parental narcissist, yes? Yeah, pro- probably yeah. the scapegoat more so. Sure. Okay. Well, the first thing that 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 individual ought to do is what I asked you then is basically you should question, why am I continuing to have a relationship with someone who's abusing me? Don't use the term mother or father. Use abuser or narcissist if you've established that's what they are. Apply some logic. So what often happens is people think, well, I ought to have a relationship with this person because they're my mother or my father. No, that isn't logical. 
that's an emotion-based decision. You're being swayed by the fact that they have a label, which is emotive, because with that label comes the idea that you are somehow grateful to them, beholden to them, obligated to have a relationship with them. If there was an individual that had routinely invalidated you, belittled you, abused you, taken your money, called you names, stopped you having friends, would you be friends with that person? No, you wouldn't. So what's the difference when it's a parent? There isn't any, logically. So you have to take a very cold, objective look at it and say, although my emotions are saying I should still have involvement with this person because they're a parent, logically, what would I benefit from doing so? And invariably, the answer is, the only benefit is to have nothing to do with them. Now, I recognise you made a valid point that it could mean that if you ostracise that parent, you would lose contact with brothers and sisters and so forth, other people within the family dynamic. You then have to ask yourself, the benefit that I would have from not being abused, that may well be worth it that I don't have contact with those other members of my family. And in many instances, it is. Because you won't have that much of involvement with those members of the family. And then why would you put up with continuing to be abused? I do not like advising people to try and manage a situation with the narcissist. Because what you're trying to then do is control somebody who's designed not to be controlled. And you're not up to the task. Non-narcissists are not designed that way. And the better result is always for you to remove yourself from the source of the problem. Now, in some instances, you can do that and other members of the family will actually understand because they can see that that person is difficult. And they'll say, I know why you don't have any involvement with mum anymore. I choose to do so, but I'm not judging you for your decision. That's, the, that's a good outcome. Sometimes, though, people don't understand. Why are you being particularly where a facade is being operated as well? Why why won't you talk to mum anymore? You know, she's in a dotage. That's really mean of you. Well, in such circumstances, what you can try and do is explain to that individual that it's your personal choice based upon behaviours that have occurred. And you ask that they respect your decision. Sometimes they will do. Problem solved. If they don't, you then have a decision to make. Do you then say, well... They won't appreciate my point of view. Therefore, I'm going to have to cut them out of my life as well or deal with them less. Or if they start to say to me, you should do this, you should do that, that I basically say, no, I'm not. And I close the conversation down when they start doing that. Or you say, I don't want to lose that family member as well. Okay, then that instance, that means I'm going to have to have some form of involvement with the narcissist. And if that's the case... You must limit your interactions so that it happens as little as possible. So that, for instance, you don't just pop round every Saturday to see that parental narcissist. You might only attend at Easter once in the summer and say at Christmas. But you, when you do attend, you do so preferably when other members of the family are there so that you would benefit from facade management. So they're less likely to cause a problem for you because there are witnesses. That you limit their attempts to contact you if they keep ringing you. Don't, don't answer. Don't feel guilty into doing so. Remind yourself that they're likely to issue a pity play or be abusive or cause a problem and you don't need that. 
So it's a little bit like going on a diet and saying, these three times a year, I'm allowed to eat pizza. The rest of the year, I can't. And I'm not even going to smell the pizza because that's too tempting. So I do have a particular assistance package in the Knowledge Vault, which people can access by going to narcsite.com, N-A-R-C-S-I-T.com. It's called How to Handle a Parental Narcissist. It's equally applicable if you have a child who's an adult, who's a narcissist or siblings or uncles or aunts or whatever. And I go into a lot more detail about what you should do initially with that parental narcissist and how, if you make the decision that you're not going to go total no contact with them, the various steps that you can take, which uh, expand upon uh, the information that I was just talking about in terms of reducing your involvement with them. There's a whole host of steps and tips and practical things that you can do contained within that. So I would direct people to access that package. Mm. Absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much. So much information there and so much good information. Okay, um, I know you were saying that you have another commitment. So thank you very much. Um, And you also offer one to one consultations, do you? I do. I do. So if somebody wants to talk to me, so they get bespoke advice about their situation. Mm -hmm. Again, going through the going to the menu at narcsite.com, you can book an audio consultation with me and join the tens of thousands of people who have secured freedom that way. Perfect. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.